Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Leviticus. And if you have your Bible with you today, turn to Leviticus 18. 18. I have to say this uh, message comes with a little uh, disclaimer and a very heavy sexual sexual uh, subject matter. Uh, so if you have kids, you know, it's up to you. But my recommendation is that you include your kids. Uh, you know, this can open up beautiful, beautiful discussion, um, depending on what age they are. It's, you know, age appropriate as you determine. But um, you know, this is a very hardcore uh, subject matter because, um, it, it, you know, when I say it, include your kids, well, in certain areas in, in Western uh, uh uh, Western states in the U.S. and even Eastern, like, you know, it, what's, what's being proposed in certain states, uh, Arizona now, and it's creeping, it's growing in our country, is they want to do sex ed with uh, kindergarten age, kindergarten in public schools. They want to start doing sex ed, teaching them about uh, homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, all these things. And, you know, so when I say, you know, include your kids, you might say like, oh, my kids are too young. But, you know, you send them off to school and they're going to be learning about some things. And so my perspective is to say, hey, you know, uh, teach your kids. Teach your kids so that they're equipped to understand these things and know these things. Um, because culture, it's, it's a whirlwind. It's going to take your kids away if you don't train them. I mean, look at the world today. Look at all the kids, Christian kids in the church that are getting sucked into the world. And a lot of it has to do with sex, a lot of it has to do with drugs, a lot of it has to do with alcohol, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. But, you know, what about Christians? What about the church? What about the remnant? So hardcore sexual subject matter, I love you, I don't want to offend you, I probably will, but I love you still. Uh, let's let the Word of God do His work inside of us as a church body, as Christians, as believers in the Most High, Okay. And uh, so here in Leviticus 18, verse 1, reads this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt. It's very interesting here in verse 3 says, According to the doings, it's ma'aseh in the Hebrew, ma'aseh. And it's actions and deeds. And the Lord is telling them, according to the doings or the actions and deeds of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, past tense, not present tense, not anymore, past tense, you shall not do. It's so beautiful when we understand and when you read the New Testament and you read, you allow the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament and vice versa. You let the Old Testament interpret the New. Because when you do, when you study the Bible like this, what happens is that you start to understand the character, the nature, things that our Lord doesn't like, things that He loves, things that He warns, and things, how He teaches us. Then we start to understand the blessings of obedience, which we're going to touch hardcore when we get into Deuteronomy. Blessings of obedience. And it's so beautiful. The Lord is saying, look, you guys came out of Egypt. I rescued you out of Egypt. But you're not Egyptians. You're different. You're different. Remember? You know, he says it, it, for the people in Goshen, Israel, how there was all these plagues that befell Egypt. All these plagues. But the Lord says what? He says, I'm going to make a difference. I will make a difference with my people. 
He says that in uh, Exodus chapter 8, verse 22, the people of Israel, you know, all these plagues befell Egypt, but what happens in the campsite of Israel in the land of Goshen? In, in Exodus chapter 8, verse 22, And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. That is what the Lord says. And it's hardcore. The Lord is saying, look, these are my people, and these are the Egyptians. What does the Lord say to us today? You know, this is the world, and these are Christians. It's so beautiful when we understand the Old Testament and allow this consecration unto the Lord to teach us about our consecration, your consecration unto the Lord. And the Lord is saying straight up in Leviticus 18, verse 3, According to those doings, according to the action deeds of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, past tense, you shall not do. Those days are over. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you see, now it's future tense, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You know, it's when you think about this concept of consecration, you can think about it. We can talk about it. We can study it. But you are the one that needs to apply it in your life. The same way I am the one that needs to apply it in my life. If I did not apply it in my life and I teach the Bible, I am a hypocrite. I can't do that. We're going to touch that hardcore when we get into Romans. You can't do that. And when you stand for righteousness, you cannot be a hypocrite. You can't say, oh, you know what? Don't do drugs and you know you're a crackhead. Oh, you know what? Don't do the sexual sin and you yourself are in sexual sin. A lot of pastors, a lot of elders get themselves in a lot of trouble because they have not reckoned the old man dead. Refusing to carry their cross Remember, the cross is an instrument of death. And the Lord says, carry your cross. An instrument of death, straight up. And if you refuse to carry your cross, if you refuse to reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, you know what that means? It means you are old wineskin. It's not good. It's not good to be old wineskin. You know why? Because the Lord wants to pour new wine inside of you. And if he pours new wine inside of old wineskin, that old wineskin cannot hold new wine. Only new wineskins can hold new wine. It's a heavenly wine. It's wine from the, from the vineyards of Zion. It's heavenly wine. It's new wine. It's from the Lord. And that's what happens when you or I don't reckon the old man dead and refuse, willfully refuse. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not into Reformed theology. 
Oh, God made me this way. No, he's presenting us a choice. Old Testament and New Testament, he presents the people with a choice. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. We have to reckon the old man dead. Otherwise, where's the new creation? I mean, you say, I believe, you do well. It's beautiful to believe. But what do you believe? In whom do you believe? You say, Jesus Christ. Okay, so take his word and you apply it to your life. And don't forget, you, I mean, you say like, wow, that's so difficult. What well, we have a helper. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the helper. But don't forget that the Holy Spirit skips over people. A heart that, that's not right with the Lord. You say, what do you mean? Remember our study about uh, Stephen? Or not Stephen, uh, uh, Simon in the book of Acts? How the Simon, he was like with the church, with Christians. He believed in Jesus Christ, except, and the Holy Spirit fell on everybody except for Simon. And it was Brother Peter who called him out. He says, hey, your heart isn't right with the Lord. You need to repent. I wonder if Simon says, oh, once saved, always saved. No, Brother Peter says, you need to repent, Simon. And you know what's so interesting? Simon says, you know, Peter, pray to God. Pray to God for me. You know what that reveals to me? That Simon doesn't have, he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, if a brother came to me and says, hey, you know, you need to repent. I said, wow, you know, yeah, that's abrasive. It hurts my heart. But you know what? Biblically, you're right, brother. You're right, sister. And so I go and repent. I don't say, you know, hey, can you pray to God for me? Because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It reveals a lot when Simon says, Peter, pray for me. You know, pray that this doesn't happen. Pray that, you know, instead of Simon falling on his face before the Lord and saying, Lord, forgive me. It's not just that his heart wasn't right with the Lord. Is that his sin created that. And rather than denounce that sin, he doesn't do that. And that's what we're confronted with, with the truth of Holy Scripture. The Lord, by the Holy Spirit, shows us more of our carnal nature. My carnal nature and your carnal nature. It's going to be a battle for the rest of our, our lives. When you're, The Lord's going to be finished with you when you're dead. But the Lord, through His Word and by His Spirit, is always confronting the carnal nature. Why? To help you, to help me carry our cross. And the whole time we carry our crosses, our legs are getting stronger, our backs are getting stronger, we're learning, we're maturing, we can endure more. It's called maturing and growing in Christ, laying aside the elementary things. Verse 3 is hardcore here. Because he says, look, in Egypt, where I rescued you out of, that's not you anymore. You shall, you're not going to do according to those things that, that were going on in Egypt. You're out of Egypt. Egypt, look, you know, look at the armies of Egypt. Where are they? The Lord made himself known. 
he doesn't end there. There's no period. He straight up says, and then also in the middle of verse 3, according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, future tense, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. Very interesting here. You know, remember here, from the peoples, these uh, anthropologically speaking, you have the Baals, you have the Asterisk, you have the Asherah, you have Anath. This is a huge problem for Israel. Not so much right here because it's fresh. What the, the instruction that the people are receiving, it's very, very fresh. I mean, like, real time, you know, if we could go back in time, but like real time, it's like, this you shall not do. So it's very fresh. But as we continue our studies through the Old Testament, you're going to start to see Asherah poles being raised, temples to these other gods being built and constructed. And then you're going to know why and understand why it is that the Lord does what he does with the people. You're going to understand it. Because we have this foundation in the law where the Lord says, don't do that. The same way the Lord, through his word and by his spirit, tells you and tells me, hey, don't do that. That's not good. And that's one of the beauties of, you know, the knowledge of the word of God. Understanding the Old Testament and New Testament and then having an, this knowledge base of his character and his nature. It's like, wow, Lord, you don't like that, so I'm not going to do that. I don't want to bring you dishonor, Lord. I want to honor you with my life. I want to honor you with the thoughts of my heart. I don't want to bring you dishonor, Lord. That's a choice that we all have to make, you and I. I should have prefaced this message by saying this is very personal. I'm just speaking to you. There were times when we have, you know, in a congregation where I'd say like, you know, to a group of people. And I would just say straight up, you know, I'm speaking to each and every one of you individually. It's just you and me. And I say that today. It's just you and me. I mean, maybe it is just you and me. I mean, maybe, maybe you're listening by yourself. And if that's the case, praise be to the Lord. It's still just you and me. I wish it could be for, you know, an entirety of people. No disrespect to you. But because I see things in the church that aren't good. I see certain things happening in the church which are not good. A lot of sexual things. And these are things that we're going to touch on hardcore today. And the Lord, just like he tells to Egypt, hey, don't be like that. Don't be like, you know, the past. And in the future, don't be like these people, the Canaanites, where I'm bringing you. You shall not do their ordinances. You shall not walk in their ordinances. And it's going to be a huge problem for the, you know, in Israel. When we get to the kings, when we get to the chronicles, when we get, you're going to see in the minor prophets how the Lord uses these people, godly people, just like the apostles in the New Testament. To go back to the church and say, hey, cut this out. Hey, this isn't right. He uses these prophets to go to Judah, to go to Israel and say, hey, you've forgotten. This isn't good. This is dishonorable to the Lord. And what happens to the prophets? They get killed. What happens to the apostles? They get killed. It says a lot about the generation. 
What's going to happen in the last days? And Christians will be killed because of their belief. Look at the two prophets. Look how the world responds to the two prophets. The Antichrist kills them and the world rejoices. Crazy, crazy days that we're living in. And so look what he says here in verse 4. You shall observe my judgments, keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Notice here, you shall observe, which is to do and to perform. Action is required. Straight up, action is required. And when I say action is required, application of God's word is required. For them and for you and for me, for us. Action is required. What is it to apply the word in our lives? You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances. And to keep here, it's just like in the New Testament. It's a military term. You you keep it, but it's like under guard in your heart. Straight up like, you know, you post a sentry at your heart. Keep it under guard. What is it? His ordinances is what he says. To walk in them. I am the Lord your God. So to do, to guard, and to walk. Old Testament and New Testament, it's exactly the same. You know, don't be a hearer only. Don't be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of the word. Or like Brother James says, faith without works is dead. And I'm not talking about a works-based salvation. I'm talking about obedience unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Obedience. You know, you believe, praise the Lord, you do well. Now, let's obey. Let's obey the word of the Lord as we apply the word of our Lord in our lives. Remember, it's just you and me speaking individually. And look at what the Lord says here in verse 5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, this is the law. We're straight up in Leviticus. This is the law. I'm not advocating the law, but what I do advocate is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, Jesus Christ. And he straight up says, you know, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgment, my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, God starts to address here. Sexual proclivities. And, you know, it's pretty hardcore. And it's very interesting how, you know, the Lord, we have all these passages in Scripture where, like, you know, certain things are addressed early. And one of those things is sexual impropriety. Just like Brother Paul addresses sexual impropriety in the church. Just like Peter does. Just like our Lord himself did when he says, go and sin no more. You know, woman, where are your accusers? It's kind of interesting, you know, that it takes two to tango. The woman caught in adultery, where was the guy? And the religious leaders, they throw the woman. You know, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Where's the guy? And it's so cool because you see the woman where, in accordance with the law, she could have been stoned. Jesus says, okay. 
You can throw a stone if you want, except this. Let he who is without sin cast the first one. And they all drop their stones. Woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. And that's freedom in Christ. You know, when the Lord rescues you out of bondage, whatever sin it is, could be sexual, could be drugs, could be alcohol, could be anything. It could be lying. You know, you hear me talk about like sex, drugs, rock and roll. I use the big ticket items. But it could be lying. You could be a tax cheat. You'd be cheating your employer. You'd be cheating the government. Whatever form of sin, it's sin, it's sin straight up. And it needs to be addressed by the Lord. You need to apply the word of the Lord in your life. So Lord, forgive me. And you repent, you come to Jesus Christ, you repent, and then you become born again. And as the Lord grows you, matures you, you're going to be doing a lot of repenting. Wow, Lord, I didn't know you're going to read. Wow, Lord, I didn't know. Forgive me. And sometimes, you know, people say, wow, look, this guy did this. Wow, it's such a shame. And yeah, it is a shame. But that's the aftermath of sin. The work of one's hands, that's the aftermath of sin. You know, the birth of sin, it happens in the mind. It happens in the heart. You know what's so beautiful? When you start repenting for thoughts. If you're not there, if you repent for the works of your hands and the steps of your feet, get to a point where you start repenting over the thoughts that you have. I mean, you know, hopefully you don't have, but I mean, you say like, Lord, forgive me. I punched this guy in the face. Okay, that's good. You, you know, you might have to, you know, it's an assault. You might have to do some jail time. He said, Lord, forgive me. I punched this guy in the face. Uh, Lord, forgive me. I'm a crack dealer. Lord, forgive me. I peddle meth. But then what about when you're like, Lord, I'm so mad. And this guy punched me in the face and I want to punch him so bad. But forgive me because I know that doesn't honor you. I'm not going to punch him, Lord. Physically, I'm not going to do it. But in my heart, I want to, Lord, forgive me. That's such a beautiful thing. When you're praying for the thoughts, Lord, this thought doesn't bring you honor. Forgive me. Because your temple needs to be clean the same way my temple needs to be clean. The same way the Word teaches us, keep your temples clean. Old Testament, keep the temple clean, keep it pure. You're going to see in the Old Testament when we study and you start to see these improprieties, whether it be other gods, whether it be apostasy, whether it be sexual sin, you're going to start to see that God's glory in the temple, it starts to leave. The Shekinah glory, it starts to leave the temple. And what happens with Israel? They start to lose wars. They start to lose battles. What happens for a Christian? You start to play games with sin. The temple is defiled. And when the temple is defiled, the Shekinah glory, it's almost like the glory gets weaker. Because stronger is the flesh than the spirit. And then all of a sudden you start to lose battles. Christian, you know, battles of the faith. You get to a point where you become weakened through hypocrisy. You are incapable 
Biblically speaking, you are incapable of teaching XYZ because you are guilty of XYZ. The Lord says don't do that. We're going to touch that hardcore in Romans, but our Lord says it too. Take the plank out of your own eye because then you can see clearly. You can see clearly and tell another brother, another sister, hey, you got a little speck in your eye. You got to take it out of your own eye first. Take the big plank out of your own eye. Very interesting how the Lord teaches us. And so when he says, you know, you don't do according to the doings of the land of Canaan. You shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. But then now he starts to address a lot of sexual things. And look what he says here in verse 6. None of you. He's speaking to a consecrated people. Israel. A consecrated people. This is post-golden calf. Remember Moses came down from the mountain. What does he see? He's with Joshua, his assistant. And what does he see? All kinds of sin. We talked about that. So, you know, I say the golden calf, but when we, if you remember our studies, it wasn't just the golden calf. Remember all the kinds of sin, all the kinds of lewd behavior, sexual nature, nakedness. It's like, whoa, what is happening? I wonder how they were influenced by Egypt. I wonder how they were influenced by Canaanites surrounding people that maybe they saw. But surely they had influence of, uh, of, 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 of Egypt. And in the future, you're going to see influences that they have. And they start to introduce the Baal. They start to introduce the Asherah, the Asherah, the Anath. Huge problems. Huge, huge, huge problems. I don't want to minimize that at all. Why? Because they forgot. That's what happens when we forget. When you forget, when I forget, that's what happens. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you're reading the Bible like every day, constantly reading the Bible, and then like it's your normal Bible time, but there's a cool show on TV, so you don't read the Bible and you watch the show, and you're like, wow, this is a cool show, and it's a series. So the next day, what do you do? You watch the show. The next day, you watch the show. The next day, you watch the show. The next day, you watch the show. You're out of the Bible. And you can feel it. It's almost like it, it. you can feel the carnal nature. Whoa, what's wrong with me? It's too strong. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit convicts you. You're like, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, because, I, you know, it was... You're out of the Bible, the steady diet of the Bible. It's very important to be in the Word of God. Very, very important, especially in these last days, to be in the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Understand the Word of God. Apply the Word of God. It is protection. And so look what happens here. None of you, remember, he's speaking to a consecrated people. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. Remember the influencers, such as Egypt. 
in the surrounding areas, you have the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites. And, you know, when you look at the religious practices that these people had, it's hardcore stuff, a lot of sexual stuff, a lot of human sacrifice, what they do to the human body of themselves and upon others, disgusting. Abominations in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord is speaking to the camp of Israel. Hey, you're not like those people. You are my people. You say, well, wait a second. You know, the Lord made those people. The Canaanites, the Amorites. Well, go back in history even further. Remember the son of disobedience? Who looked on his dad's nakedness? You know, a ham, but then uh, 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 Japheth. Uh, and I'm going to go back here because I keep forgetting their names. Uh, Shem and Japheth. It was Canaan. Cursed be Canaan. Or it was uh, uh, Ham in, in uh, Genesis 9, verse uh, 22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. And he told his two brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it, laid it on both their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. They didn't see their dad naked. They walked backwards with the sheet. Hey, we're going to cover, cover him. But look at the genealogy and you start to see through this act of disobedience, how it went to the next generations. What does that say for parents? I mean, have you ever seen parents that teach kids certain things? You know, in Christian homes, you teach your kid righteousness. You teach your children righteousness, the ways of the Lord. But then maybe you have some people in your family who are not Christians. And the things that they teach their kids. It pains. It's painful to listen to. It's painful to witness. It's painful to talk to a child like a, you know, a 13-year-old that's going through problems. And they say, you know, they say like, yeah, I did this, I did this, I did this. And I, who told you that? Oh, my dad told me. It's like, whoa. And to pray and intercede, Father, forgive him because he didn't know. He was trying to teach his kid, but based on what? Based on, he doesn't, he didn't, he doesn't know you. Lord, he doesn't know what he's doing. Forgive him. Have mercy on him, Lord. It's so beautiful to intercede. And then you go back to the dad. You say, hey, can I talk to you? You need the Lord in your life. This counsel you gave your kid, you know, it's crazy. You need the Lord in your life. And then, you know, what they do with that, that's between them and the Lord. But remember, you know, if you're a Christian, you're a messenger. You need to tell people these things so that they can understand. And then what they do with it, that's between them and the Lord. But you need to speak. For too long we've been so quiet about, you know, whatever. X, Y, Z situations. And then we're living in the fruit of it. Because why? What happens with salt when it loses its flavor? It's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. And what do we see today? The trampling under, of our culture underfoot, underfoot by men. And I'm speaking from Western culture. 
But I mean, you look across the globe, what's happening to the church, the persecuted church in China and Russia and Arab countries, it's some hardcore persecutions. In Iran, hardcore, hardcore persecution. But per capita, you see the spirit of the Lord, the church is growing hardcore in Iran. Per capita, it's the number one, the, the church is blowing up there. You see how the Lord works? His ways are not our ways. And the Lord is speaking here in Leviticus 18. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. You know, look at, you know, you hear me mention these influencers such as the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hevites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, Egypt. What about influencers today on social media? That's what they're called. You know, they have like thousands and thousands of followers and they think they're cool. You know, oh yeah, you know, you only have like, you know, uh, two friends, you know, on social media, you know, but I have 10,000. They think they're so cool. Big shots. I have 20,000. They call them influencers. And, you know, they're pretty good at influencing culture. Just look at society, the doldrums of society. Look at who's doing the influencing. Look at what's coming out of Hollywood, you know, and all the people that like to be like that. So as we look at these influencers of Leviticus and Israel at this time period, don't forget, we have influencers, so-called influencers. You know what I say? Let the Lord be your influence. Let the beautiful cloud of witnesses that we're surrounded by in the passages of Holy Scripture, let these people be our influencers. Allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. The world, not the world. The Word of God and the cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. In verse 7, the nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You know, you start to understand Satan's tactics. You know, the breakdown of the family. Which start, you know, people say, oh yeah, it was this, it was this, liberalization. Yeah, you can attribute aspects of, you know, liberalism to the breakdown of the family. But me personally, I call it satanic. Because it's multi-generational. Man, man can't do that. It's supernatural. It's satanic. The breakdown of the family. Where, you know, the dad becomes the dummy of the home. And then the mom wants to be friends with their kids. And then the kids become like the leaders of the home. They become the alphas instead of the parents being the alphas. And the kids run wild in the home, never been spanked. It's the breakdown of the family, and I call it satanic. The rise of the Antichrist spirit. Which was at work 2,000 years ago, and you know, in the course of time, it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Ultimately, being revealed in the Antichrist himself. But this breakdown of the family, it creates a devaluation of roles. The devaluation of the dad, the devaluation of the mom, the devaluation of the kid. And not just the roles, but the people who fill these roles. 
I mean, have you ever talked to kids about a parent, like a parent, uh, your your mom and dad are your authority, but then a kid says, they're crazy, they're not my authority. Because a mom and dad have abdicated their authority through sin, through the carnal nature. A dad, you know, a kid, you talk to a kid, you say, you know, how can my mom and dad be my authority figure biblically? You're telling me that, you know, the Lord wants me, uh, they're my authority figure when my dad beats on my, my mom. My dad, you know, has all these girlfriends on the side. My mom is a crackhead. And my, you, you're telling me the Lord wants to submit to that? That's a difficult ministry. To talk to a kid and say, you're a victim of sin. You're a victim of carnality. You're a victim of, you know, choices that people made to not guard their hearts and protect their hearts and thus protecting you. But don't blame the Lord for that. It's a very, very difficult ministry because you have these young kids, like a 12-year-old, 13, 15-year-old, they're old enough to understand, but still too young to more deep, deeply understand. It's a very, very difficult ministry. You know, for parents, you know, take these things to heart. Because kids are so fragile, so gentle. I mean, to, you know, uh, 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 the devaluation of a mom. You know, so what? She's just a lady. She just gave birth to me. The evaluation of the father. So what? You know, he just provided, uh, you know, sperm so that I was born. But no, the word of God teaches us, no, your mother, your father, you're to honor them. And sometimes you have crazy parents. And if that's the case, you know, I like to think of it like political roles, political figures. Like, you know, we have mayors that are like, Crazy cuckoo mayors. They're not like, I don't respect their decisions, but I do respect their office. I do respect their authority. And if I was going to go to, you know, visit a mayor, I would say, Mr. Mayor, uh, you know, yes, sir. No, sir. I would be cordial. I would be respectful. But that doesn't mean I'm going to align with his policies because these policies are crazy. Policies that don't honor the word of God. They don't honor the Lord, but I'm still going to honor this office. And that's what you do if you have crazy parents. Honor them like that. You know, don't, you know, honor them in that manner, but you don't have to align with their choices. It's a very, very difficult ministry to talk to young kids who have crazy parents, crackhead parents. You know, dads who are you know, on cheating on their wives like crazy. But to understand, you know, the Bible teaches us in Philippians chapter, uh, 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 Philippians chapter two, verse three, to esteem others as better than self. So you know, whoever in your circle of people, they're better than you. That's what the Bible teaches us: esteem others as better than you. So when we see these passages like the nakedness of your father and or the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother. I mean, if you, if you read this passage, and I've done it before with broken homes, 
like to kids, children, teenagers in broken homes where the dad is crazy, drugs, the mom is crazy, drugs, a lot of sex with, you know, not between the, the two married people, but with other people. And read passages like this. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not cover. You shall not uncover. She is your mother. And then I hear like, she's my mother, so what? It's very, very difficult. Pray for this young generation. Because a parent has abdicated their responsibilities. They haven't guarded their heart. And it really impacts the kids. I don't want to say destroys the kids, but wow. Almost. Almost. I mean, to talk to a 16-year-old girl, 17-year-old boy that's from a broken home. Wow. That's no joke. Pray for these people. And if that, if you're a parent of teenagers, wow, guard your hearts. Protect your hearts. Protect your minds. Don't forget, the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't want to freak you out. But if I was a parent, I'd be freaked out. The Lord also teaches us about a millstone. Don't forget. It's your ministry, you know. You decided to tango. So, I mean, you, you got to deal with it. But look what the Bible teaches us here. And this is hardcore about sexual sin. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife. You shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. Now, when we read these passages, it's very, very easy to understand why Paul was angry at the church in Corinth. Righteous indignation. Angry. When he tells them, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. Because what was happening? Inside the church, there was a guy who was having sex with his dad's wife. Inside the church. Praising the Lord, hands up, worshiping the Lord, singing, speaking Christianese, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And Paul says, this isn't good. It's not good. What does Moses say? Be holy. That's in chapter 11, verse 45. What does Brother Peter say? Be holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And you know what happens when you apply this concept, when you apply this truth in your heart, where Moses and Peter say, be holy, and you say, okay, I'm going to be holy. So I'm going to apply the word in my life. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to reckon the old man dead. I'm going to reckon the old woman dead. I'm going to carry my cross. You know what's going to happen? You're going to realize that you don't fit in. You don't fit in with the world. Sadly, you also don't fit in with the church. You know where you do fit in? The remnant. That's where you fit in. But it's very easy when you read passages such as what we're going through right now. It's very easy to understand why Paul was saying your rejoicing isn't good. Turn with me really quick to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse... 10. Don't forget that the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, in the very early chapters, you see some major, major sin. 
And Paul even starts, he says, you know what? I wish I could write like adult, like I was writing to adults, but I got to write like I'm writing to kids because they were, they haven't matured. They haven't grown. They haven't put aside the elementary things and moved forward to Christ and to, to grow in Christ. So he says, okay, I got to write like I'm writing to babies now. And then you see Paul addresses their sin. But what's so beautiful, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians and the 2 Corinthians, it's still the same church, but they're different. Because you see repentance. Paul starts to teach them more and more deeper spiritual things in 2 Corinthians about spiritual warfare. Because they've moved on. They've repented. They've, this guy that was in the sexual sin where he was having sex with his dad's wife, they kicked him out of the church. And then, you know, you see the early passages of 2 Corinthians. And what does Paul say? Bring him back into the church. Bring him back. You see, because a little leaven leavens the bunch. You take this sin, you say, look, you need to repent. And the sin keeps happening. You're still going to have sex with your dad's wife. You're still going to have sex with your dad's wife. Then look, I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're rottening the church. You're living in the church. And what's so beautiful is that Paul still warns the church. He doesn't say, okay, you guys are good to go, so you know what, I'm done. No, he warns them. In chapter 13, 2 Corinthians, verse 10, he says, Therefore I write, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. I think that's so beautiful how Paul uses his letters because in person, he'd say, you know what? I would be so I would be too hardcore with you if I was in person. If we were face to face, I would be too hardcore. So I'm gonna write to you instead. Because I'm absent and I'm not gonna use sharpness. He says, less being present, I should use sharpness. This word for sharpness in the Greek is to be abrupt. To be blunt, to be rude, to be impolite, to be uncivil, to be uh, unmannerly, to be rough. It even translates as to be abusive, but you know, I, I shouldn't say abusive like, you know, beat the sheep. But that's how the word translates here. He says, lest being present, I should use sharpness. He says, no, I'm going to write you a letter. Now, what does the letter, you know, first Corinthians, you read first Corinthians, second Corinthians? There's some hardcore stuff here. Where Paul says, your rejoicing isn't good. He says, you know, it's good for me to write you a letter. Because if we were face to face, I would be more sharp. I would be more abrupt. I would be more blunt. I would present uncivilly. Because this sin, this carnal nature, needs to be addressed. And he says here in verse 10 still, According to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. But, you know, for edification here, yes, it's to edify and build up, but it's in a construction manner. Don't forget, in our study in earlier passages of the book of Acts, how we studied how exhortation does not exclude rebuke. Exhortation does not exclude rebuke. Look at Peter. He was rebuked by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. 
I mean, in one passage, the Peter's saying, you are the Lord. You are the Messiah. And then you keep reading, and like a couple, a couple lines down, and it's like, get behind me, Satan. Jesus Christ is telling Brother Peter. Peter was also rebuked by Paul. When he was kind of going back to the law, compelling Gentiles to live as Jews, to conduct as Jews. And Paul rebuked him publicly. You know what's so beautiful about Peter? Is that he didn't run away. Jesus rebuked him and he didn't run away. He was sharpened by rebuke. Paul rebuked him publicly and he didn't run away. He was sharpened by Jesus. He was sharpened by Brother Paul. And then you start to read Peter's letters. It's so beautiful. You read uh, uh, 1 Peter and you read uh, 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 all the letters that Peter writes. And it's like, whoa. Exhortation to the church, to Christians, to you and me 2,000 years later. Give or take a couple years. But that's this edification. It's to build up as in construction. And not for destruction, which is demolition, is how it translates. And why do I mention this? Because the church is being built. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and the Holy Spirit starts building brick by brick by brick by brick in your heart. Corporately, the church is being built. That's the koinonia, ecclesia. Paul's saying, it's good that I write these letters. It's better because, you know, I can address these things and we're not face to face. Because if we were face to face, I would be more sharp. I would be more abrupt. I would be more blunt. I would be more uncivil. And Paul still warns the church in Corinth. As a little comment, you know, in in our own fellowship, we had, you know, not too long ago, some major, major sexual sin. Certain topics to include pedophilia arose. Certain topics to include a Jezebel spirit arose, of which things I had to address. Sexual impropriety. It wasn't good. And I had to address these things. And you'd think I set the world on fire. What, as pastor, what am I supposed to do? Oh, no big deal. It's okay. That's the way of a fool. Oh, it's okay. You know, go ahead. You know, go ahead and continue in your conduct. No, certain things need to be addressed. Biblically, they need to be addressed. Let's look at 2 Corinthians still, chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 20. This is what Paul writes. Still to, to The Corinthian church, what I love about the Corinthian church, it's very carnal. It reminds me of the church today. It's not to say that the church is beyond repair. The church is definitely within the realm of repairability. But it needs to have an injection of truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 20 of chapter 12, Paul says, For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish. I mean, this is 2 Corinthians. You'd think that 2 Corinthians, the church is on a good road by now. After the correction that they received in 1 Corinthians. But no, what do we see? Paul gives them this warning. 
I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish. How does he wish to find them? Maturing in Christ, abiding in Christ and maturing in Christ. And that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. You know, if, if Paul said nothing about certain sin, then he would be disobedient. But no, in his obedience, he had to address the church. He had to tell the church, your rejoicing isn't good. He had to teach them as they write to them as like on milk, like talking to babies. And then he says this, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you. My God will depress me among you. That's how it translates in the Greek. Have you ever been depressed among Christians? Have you been ever been depressed among Christians inside the church? Not just you're sad because you know you're sad, but depressed at the carnality. That's what I mean when I say, you know, Moses says be holy, Peter says be holy, and you apply it in your life and you say, okay, I'm going to be holy. The Holy Spirit's going to help me and Lord, you know what? I'm going to reckon the old man dead. I'm going to carry my cross. You're going to find that you don't belong in the world, certainly. But in some circles inside the church, you still don't belong. And a remnant, you'll find Goshen. You'll find peace in a small remnant. It was the same for Israel, the same for Judah, the church. I mean, we're almost done in our studies in the book of Acts, and then Paul writes these letters. I mean, he's already been writing these letters, and you know, chronologically, he's already been writing these letters. In some cases, a year later from when a church was born. In some cases, two years later from when a church was born. And Paul has to write a letter to the Corinthians. He has to write a letter to the Galatians. He has to write a letter to say, hey, this is sound doctrine. Don't go back to the law. You know, this sexual sin, this guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, it's not good. Get him out of the church. Paul has to write that. In some cases, two years later, two years after the birth of the church, we're 2,000 years in, give or take a couple years. You think things aren't crazy in the church? It's a sign of the last days. Sound doctrine won't be adhered to. He says in verse 21, lest when I come, my God will humble me. I will be depressed among you. And I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness, which they have practiced. To be practiced here is to be performed repeatedly. It translates to habitual sin. Now, I have to say a comment about Reformed theology, Calvinism, which is growing. It's very popular, Neo-Calvinism. Once saved, always saved. If once saved, always saved were true, why would Paul mourn here? He's the one who says here, I shall mourn for many who have sinned. A letter to the church. A so-called corrected church. And I say so-called, no disrespect to the Lord. But this is his warning. Don't forget, in a lot of the letters he writes, he warns. None of the churches are without warning. 
The one that's least with that warning is the Philippian church. All the other churches have some major hardcore warnings about sex, about the law, about other gods, about apostasy, about the last days. But if once saved, always saved were true, why would Paul mourn? If once saved, always saved were true, why would there be a great falling away? Apostasy. And I don't say that to scare anybody. You know, sometimes I talk to reform people and they're like, oh, you know what? We, have, we get into these, they seem circular. And, you know, I told you guys about the, you know, there's like a three and a half hour conversation, almost four hours, long conversation. And ultimately the guy at the end, he says, you know what? I'm, I'm the guy the Bible warns you of. You know, that's what's so cool about the truth of God's holy word. Understanding the character and nature of our Lord. He says, look, choose me. Choose righteousness. Choose Jesus. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what our Lord says. And this sexual sin that was pretty hardcore in Corinth, it's hardcore in our church today. Look at the churches. Look at all the sexual sin. Look at pastors. Look at elders who are compromised. Biblically incapable. Biblically unable to teach the word of God with power. Because they're compromised. They might, you know, you have a flashlight. It looks like a flashlight. You open it. No batteries. No power. And the same thing was happening in Israel, in the camp of Israel, how the Lord teaches them in Leviticus. Let's go back to Leviticus 18 here. You know, we live in a culture where it's like nakedness is like no big deal. You know, on social media, I have to unfollow. I see like, you know, too much of the human body, too much of the flesh. Unfollow, 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 unfollow. So now I can go on social media like, you know, once every quarter. And see like two people. <laughs> because it's like, I, I have to protect my eyes. And it's so cool how the Lord teaches us through the law. You start to understand his character and nature more. In verse 8, the naked, or in uh, uh, verse 8, Leviticus 18 verse 8, The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. In verse 9, the nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, the na their nakedness you shall not uncover. Now what happens in the breakdown of the home? So what? My dad, no big deal. So what? My mom, no big deal. So what? My sister, so what? This And you start to see this breakdown, and then when you... Biblically, we're supposed to uh, uh, esteem others as better than self. What about your neighbor's wife? What about your neighbor's sister? What about your neighbor's daughter, your neighbor's son? And all these things that the Lord teaches us, understanding his character and nature more, and inside a heart that doesn't reckon his old man or his old woman or her old woman dead, the old nature, and refuses to carry the cross, 
You know what the man becomes? You know what the woman becomes? The other woman, the other man? An object of sexual gratification. I'm talking about inside the church. Oh, so what? She's just, you know, she comes to church. No big deal. So what? He comes to church. No big deal. But we're going to meet up over here and do whatever. Some major crazy things happening inside the church. But what does the Bible teach us? Judgment comes first in the house of God. Judgment comes first in the house of God. And if it comes first for us, how much more will it be for those who don't obey the gospel? That's what Brother Peter writes. Brother Peter, who was rebuked by Jesus Christ, who was rebuked by Brother Paul, sharpened. And so look what happens here in Verse 10, the nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover for theirs is your own nakedness. And you see a lot of like loose living at home. A lot of loose living at home. Look at what we see in, in uh, 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 Noah's family with his sons, the descendants of Ham. And their disobedience. How it, you know, when you look at Ham and his disobedience, look how it, you know, if, if you ever see like, I mean, how, how do you expect a non-believer to raise his or her kids? I mean, they're going to raise them up in a way that seems right to them. You start to understand how not only sin begets sin in one's life, but wickedness begets wickedness across generations. I mean, have you ever seen like a wicked guy? And then you meet his son, you meet his daughter, and you're like, wow, you're just like your dad. And I don't say that like in a judgmental way. I say that in like a wow, sad kind of way. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Or the mom, you know, you see a wicked mom. And, you know, you see their wicked kids. It's like, wow, but then you see a righteous husband, a righteous wife, and you see their kids. It's like, wow, this is beautiful. You know what that is? Goshen. Biblically, that's what it is. Where the Lord is making a difference between His people and Egypt. A consecrated people. And so look what happens here. In verse 11, The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She's your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You know, what does it say of the church today? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. This is so powerful. I mean, you know, if you have a wife, if you have a husband, you know, yeah, they're your spouse, but they're your brother or your sister in Christ. And you honor them as is pleasing to the Lord. But then you take another family. Wow, that's my brother and sister in Christ. I love you. 
You look at another family, my brother and sister in Christ. Wow, I love these people. But to see them carnally as objects of sexual gratification, whoa. And I don't mean whoa like, I mean whoa like W-O-E exclamation point. Whoa. It's very common in the church, very popular in the church. Leaven inside the church. It's not good. The rejoicing in the church isn't good. When that is happening, where those things are happening, and the Lord sees all. I mean, I've had conversations with pastors and elders about some very egregious sexual sin. Not just in the church, but among the leadership. If you're a pew Christian and you think like, wow, this is a holy guy, this is a holy ministry, this, you know? That's why I say I speak individually. Because if you're a pew Christian, praise be to the Lord, it's not to minimize, you know, that you're a pew Christian. It's to scare the daylights out of the pastors and the elders. You know why? Because... You're held to a higher account if you're a pastor, if you're an elder. So when I say pew Christian, it's not to minimize that you're a pew Christian. It's to scare the daylights out of pastors and elders who are held, biblically held to a higher account. And so look what happens here in verse 16. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. Wickedness. Remember, to esteem others as better than yourself. You know, it's so beautiful when you start to apply these things in your life because you change. And it's not by your doing, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. You start to become a new creation in Christ Jesus, just as the Word teaches. People say, oh yeah, I'm a new creation in Christ. Well, what's up with the crack pipe? I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. What's up with the pornography? I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. Oh, I saw your, your social media post. You were drunk as a skunk last night. That's not a new creation. But when you apply the word in your life, in your heart, in your mind. Oh my goodness, you're a new creation. I've had females ask me, are you gay? <laughs> First answer is like, no. You know, talk to a person, you know. I'm not gay. I'm a Christian. It's, you know, there was a time if somebody asked me if I was gay before, I'd be mad. But like people ask me, are you gay? Man, I rejoice. It's like, no. But you know what? I'm, I'm not going to, you know, do these things. A, a female says, well, you know, when I'm with these guys, this happens. They say this. They talk like this. But you know, when we're doing this, it's like, you're not even talking like that. You don't look like this. You don't. Your eyes don't go here. It's like, oh, praise the Lord. It's the Lord. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And I don't say that uh, braggadociously. I say that to honor the Lord and to glorify His work. New creation. 
He said, oh, I'm a new creation in Christ. But you know what? What's up with the meth? That is not a new creation. That's the old man. You need to repent. I'm a new creation. Well, what's up with your, your five boyfriends on the side? No, you need to repent. You're not a new creation. You need to repent. Oh, but I made it all to Carl when I was 10 years old. Once saved, always saved. Well, let me tell you something. Once saved, always saved is not biblical. If it were biblical, why would Paul mourn at Christians who didn't repent? If it were biblical, why would there be a great falling away? Fall away from what? No, you need to repent. And I'm not advocating a works-based faith. I'm advocating an obedience-based faith. Just like Brother James did. You believe, you do well. Obey. You know, you believe, okay, that's good. Follow me. That's what Jesus Christ says. And so look what happens here. It is wickedness, the end of verse 17. That's a bad word in the church today. People don't like, you know, uh, talking about wickedness because it exposes the work of the flesh. But praise be to the Lord at the exposure, exposure of the works of the flesh. Because it's, it's, it's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How He goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. When you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. Because the Lord is confronting you with your nature and His nature and saying, Hey, I want you in my camp. I want you in my camp. I want you under the confines of my grace. Why? Because I love you. And then you listen to the schoolmaster. And the schoolmaster gives you a little... I'm speaking of the law. And the schoolmaster gives you a little spank. He says, okay, get in the fold of Christ. Uh, you know, I was in Catholic school when I was a kid. So you know, say schoolmaster as a tutor giving you a spank. You know, they hit our knuckles. Big old sticks, you know, on the knuckles. And it's so cool. It's like, you know, you start to understand these things about the law, how the how the law the law isn't over. The law is still in effect. But it's not made for the righteous person. Look at all the righteousness, the people that it was accounted for righteousness sake pre-law, before the law. The law is not made for a righteous person. But the law is a schoolmaster, a tutor. Old Testament and New Testament, the law is a tutor, even today. Because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin in the law is death. Same as it was in the law days, and same as it is today. The wages of sin is death. You say, whoa, that's scary. I know it's scary. But God loves you. you say, I've never heard it put that way. I just thought, you know, Christians were crazy. Yeah, we're kind of crazy. But God loves you. Repent. And receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be born again. In verse 18. It says, Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. But it's the exact same thing now. You know, if, if your husband and your wife dies, it's okay to marry again, but marry in the Lord. And if your wife and your husband dies, it's okay to get married again, but in the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. Paul writes about that. 
but then he also makes his little uh, additive suggestions too. <laughs> I love Paul. You know, Paul is such a dead guy. You, uh, and I mean dead guy like dead to self. He has such union with the Lord. And you understand why he says the things he says. I mean, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But just James, Peter, Paul, they're so dead that inspired by the Spirit, they're writing these letters and the Lord is going to take their letters and use them in the canon of His Holy Scripture, which is the Word of God. Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh. You see how close their hearts were to the Lord? So much so that their hearts were like in the Lord and of the Lord. It's not them per se, it's Christ in them. And their letters been included in the canon of Scripture where the Word became flesh. That's powerful. And so look what happens here in verse 19. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. That hits her menstrual cycle. These are things that we covered in chapter 12, also in chapter 15, where we also covered semen. You know, very appropriate. You know, the you know, I love how what we're talking about today is and you know, in passages in chapter 15, they, they buttress each other quite well because of sexual sin in the church today. You think about the nakedness that people are exposed to on the computer, on their phones, or whatever. Masturbation in the church today. Men that are like in la-la land. Crazy town, you know? They just get sucked into this lifestyle. You know, stay away from drugs, stay away from pornography, stay away from alcohol. Those are the three big big ticket items. Because, I mean, you take like a, a, a big 300-pound behemoth of a guy in the grasp of a, a two-year-old child, that child is not getting away. That's what sexual, that's what pornography is. That's what drugs are. That's what alcohol is. It's like a 300-pound guy, 500-pound, and not fat, a 500-pound muscle-bound, just a huge, enormous behemoth of a guy. And when you're in his grasp, you can't get away. That's drugs, pornography, and alcohol. Those are the three big ticket items. Stay away from those things because they're going to be big problems for you in the future. And if you're a parent, teach your kids, train your kids because at kindergarten age, I don't know what kindergarten, four or five years old, I don't know, I think it is wrong. They're teaching your kids about you know uh, sex education in accordance to the world, not sex education in accordance with the Bible. But a child can be in a kindergartner, kindergarten school, other students, and the teacher starts to teach about transgenderism, but then the kid can say, wow, my mama, my pap- papa told me that's wrong. It's a sin before the Lord. I know that this teacher is crazy town. This teacher is crazy la-la land. Guy, girl, whatever. Crazy. Because you've trained your child well. And they can tell their friends. Remember when teacher was talking about, you know, transgenderism was okay? No, it's a sin. They can be like, you know, their battles, where they're at. 
so cool. And, you know, I say kindergarten, but, you know, elementary school, middle school. If you homeschool, well, they're going to have friends. What, what, what kind of things are the friends learning? You know, you, you have a 15-year-old son. He's going to go hang out with his friends. Do you know what they're going to show him on their phones? 10-year-old son. 8-year-old. There was an 8-year-old that was offered oral sex by another 8-year-old student. And the kid, the boy was a Christian. And the non-Christian girl, you were offered oral sex and he didn't know what it was. So he goes home to his dad and says, Dad, you know, this girl did this. This girl offered this. And he didn't know what it was. So his dad had to stop and just like start teaching sex ed to an 8-year-old. That honors the Lord. An 8-year-old. You say like, wow, that's young. An 8-year-old? Yes, an 8-year-old. And you know what? It's getting younger now. It's a 4-year-old's. California, they just passed a law where, you know, you can have, uh, you're not, you don't have to register as a sex offender if you uh, sexually assaulted somebody within 10 years of your own age. So like a 22-year-old can uh, have sex with a 12-year-old and they don't have to register as a sex offender. Crazy town. Welcome to the last days. Look what happens here. In verse um, 20, moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. Notice, self-inflicted. To defile yourself with her. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Sexual sin is against one's own body. Self-inflicted. Very interesting how, you know, we're, we're referencing the Corinthian church quite a bit. Very carnal church. Very, very carnal. But be of good cheer. Because we have a carnal church today. Be of hope, of good, strong hope. Because through truth and the power of the Holy Spirit and a strong messenger, Brother Paul, another beautiful messenger, Sister Chloe, <laughs> she was the one who wrote a letter to Paul. Hey, Paul, there's some crazy stuff going on in the church. And so Paul found out and says, okay, we got to address this. Thanks, Sister Chloe. So two beautiful messengers. You know, Paul and Chloe, <laughs> and those in Chloe's home, you know, her little home fellowship, that must have been an awesome home fellowship, because Chloe's like, hey, this isn't right, this isn't right. So look what happens here, in uh, verse 21, and you shall, not, you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Molech. You know, they did child sacrifice, this off, offered offerings to Molech, you know, it, Molech? who's alive and well today, the God of abortion, Molech. Sometimes you see Bibles, they say Molech or Moloch. Uh, but it, it's like this God where, you know, two different forms of the God where they have these, uh, these uh, arms that are extended out and they would burn them so they're like, like red hot. And then they would place the babies on the, as an offering to Molech and the babies would burn. A live baby placed on these burning hot iron arms, red hot iron, and the baby would burn. They would make their offerings to Molech, sacrifice their children. And then when the baby was burning, they'd push him in this big hole in the belly where the whole baby would burn. So inside the belly of Molech was just a bunch of burned babies. And the Lord is saying, don't do that. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, the God of abortion. Child sacrifice. Alive and well today. 
nor shall you profane the name of the Lord, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You see, what happens? You start to see, you see these passages in the law, and we're hitting it hardcore, like, wow, you know. I mean, don't forget, Aaron's two sons were killed and consumed by the fire of the Lord because they offered profane fire. But you're going to see priests in the future that start to introduce these other gods. It's like, yeah, they're priests of the Lord, but then they turn their back on the Lord and they start making these offerings to other gods. And so the Lord says, okay, you know what? I'm not going to speak through you. I'm done with you. Now I'm going to go to Jeremiah. Now I'm going to go to Ezekiel. Now I'm going to go to Amos. Now I'm going to go to Joel, to Hosea, all these beautiful people. Zephaniah, Zechariah. Amos even said, you know, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. You know what the Lord says? You're a prophet. Praise be to the Lord. And so look what happens here in verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And we're going to touch on this when we get into the book of Romans. Anytime you see passages like this where there's a, a, a sin or an abomination in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, you know like, whoa, this is not good. This is what we're talking about here, homosexuality. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself. Remember, it's self-inflicted. Sexual sin is always self-inflicted. To defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. This is bestiality. Bestiality. The Lord here is addressing the LGBTQ movement. Which now they also added a P for the pedophilia rights. The rights of the pedophile. Because of all the sexual freedom, you know. I get my sexual freedom. I can do this. You know, I was born this way. No. Nobody's born that way. You look at a guy who's sentenced to prison. You know, he goes in. He's a heterosexual. He's sentenced to prison for 20 years. He comes out of prison 20 years later. And he's a homosexual. What happened? Well, I mean, I know what happened. You know what happened, but... He wasn't born that way. He went into prison, heterosexual. He comes out, homosexual. What happened? Was he born that way? No. He changed. You say, oh, you know what? I have my rights. You know, you're, you're full of hate. No. Come out of sexual sin the same way I came out of sexual sin. Follow me as I follow Christ. Why? Because God loves you. There's a better way. There is a better way. And it's Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. I'm just the messenger. Those are His words. And so look what happens here. Nor shall any woman. So bestiality, abomination, perversion. You shall not mate with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled. Very interesting. It puts into light 
the reason why the Lord takes these steps in the future of Israel, the future of the peoples around Israel, the future of the nations, and even for nations today. Sexual sin. He says, For by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. Proverbs 14.34 Righteousness exalts a nation. Everybody says, I'm going to vote for this guy. I'm going to vote for this guy. I'm going to vote for this lady. I'm going to vote for this and vote for this. No, it's righteousness that exalts a nation. The church. The salt of the earth. What happened to our salt? Speaking aggregately. What happened to our salt? We've lost our flavor. For your salt, because I'm speaking individually, for your salt, don't ever lose your flavor. Stay on fire for the Lord. You are the salt of the earth. He says, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I'm casting out before you, and it's righteousness that exalts a nation. These influencers to, to Israel, there was the Egyptians, there were the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites. You know, when I say the Egyptians, that's where they came out of. But where are they going? To the land of Canaan, where the influences are the Canaanites, the Amorites, Jebusites, Hittites, and Hivites. And the Lord is saying, hey, you are my people. The same way he says to you, you are mine. I pulled you out of Egypt. That's not you anymore. And where is he going to send you? I don't know. That's his call. He might send you back to Egypt like he did with Moses. But Moses wasn't Egyptian. If the Lord sends you back to Egypt, you're not Egyptian. You're a Christian. If the Lord sends you into Canaan, into you know these regions of other, uh, other inhabitants, metaphysically speaking, you're a Christian. These influencers in your life, you might have friends that are alcoholics. That's fine. Don't be an alcoholic. I mean, I would say, you know, if you're a young believer, be careful with those friendships. I would say steer clear of those friendships. But as you grow and as you're strong in the Lord, your legs are getting stronger, your back is being stronger, and you're, you're growing in the Lord, be a fisherman. Be wise. Be a fisherman. You're going to find as you don't fit, you know, sometimes your friends don't like you anymore. Moses says, be holy. Peter says, be holy. And you say, okay, I want to be holy. I'm going to throw away these dirty magazines. I'm going to throw away these dirty movies. You know, I'm getting a flip phone. And you're going to find that you don't fit. You start to realize, wow, I don't fit in the world. Surely I don't fit in the world. But you're also going to find you don't fit in the church. But where you do fit is among the remnant. And so look what happens here in verse 25. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of it, its iniquity upon it. The Lord is bringing judgment. 
Verse 25, when he says, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, it's the Lord, if you, if you chop it up, it's like, I visit because of the iniquity and I punish. Whoa. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. Every time God visits to judge, there is always grace. There is always mercy and an opportunity opportunity to repent always 100% of the time you say what about Sodom what about Lot what about Egypt what about Joseph what about Nineveh what about Jonah you see every time what about the judgment to come what about you are you the salt are you the light? What about you? This door of grace, it's not going to be open forever. It's closing. And it's going to close. And when it's closed, it's called the fullness of the Gentile. Gentiles. The door of grace is going to close. But before that happens, the Lord teaches us of what the last days are going to look like. It's not pretty. The times of sorrow, they're already here. And it's going to get worse. But be the light. Be the salt. And so look what happens in verse 26. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. So this is Jew and Gentile together. A little picture of the Gentiles being grafted in to the promises of Israel as Gentiles. I'm a Gentile, but if you're Jewish, praise be to the Lord. But this is an Old Testament example of Gentiles being grafted in. And so look what happens here in verse 27. For all these abominations <clears throat> the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. And so... It's very interesting. Do you remember our study in chapter 14 when I mentioned for pastors to pray over the homes of your people, your congregation? It's very important, especially like when a, a, a new family moves into a home. And I gave you the account. I told you there was one time a guy got mad at me because, of, hey, can you pray for my home? Yeah, we go to the home and start praying. He got mad at me because I was like praying against, you know, certain factions, evil, the spirit realm. You know, and I was praying against these. He got mad at me, like, oh, man, you know, why you got... I just prayed the blessings. It's like, you, you don't know what happened in that home. You don't know what kind... Who's going to come knocking on the door wanting more crack? You don't know, you know, what was... Sex trafficking, you know, mama son selling their kids. You have no clue. You have no idea who's going to come knocking on that door. And pray for the homes. You move into a new home, pray like crazy for the new home. The, Lord, the Lord's protection. But the same concept is right here. Because the Lord is saying, look, the, for all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you. And the land, thus the land is defiled. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to bring you to this land, but it's not going to be defiled. You know why? Because of you. You're the light. You're the salt. You guys be holy. 
And you know what? I'm going to be with you. Remember Exodus 33, the Lord says, I'm not going to go with you guys. You guys are stiff-necked people. And if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. And then Moses intercedes. And then the Lord says, okay, I'll be with you. I'm going to give you the law again. Here's the Ten Commandments again. Except this time, it's with blood. An Old Testament example of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. So you have like the Ten Commandments, the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. Now you have sacrifice, the blood, Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sins. Remember the law was the Ten Commandments given three times. Verbally, and then the first two tablets, and then the second set of two tablets. Three times the law was given. The Ten Commandments. These are statutes that the Lord is giving now in Leviticus. And the Lord is saying, the people in this land, they're wicked. They've done all these abominations. That land is defiled. The same thing happens, you know, with us. Wherever the Lord is taking us. Where it's defiled. The Lord is saying, hey, don't be defiled. I'm going to make a difference between you and them. You're going to be the salt. You're going to be the light. You're going to be my messenger. Just like all the great cloud of witnesses that are before us in the canon of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. God is giving instructions for His people. Then He says this in verse 28. Lest the land vomit you out. Also, when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Very interesting here. You know what's so sad? Bethel. Bethel. Bethel breaks my heart. House of God is how Bethel translates. And it kills me. Because you read Genesis 28 verse 19, if you recall our studies. And Jacob honors the Lord. And he has his pillar. And he puts his pillar there. And he calls it Bethel. House of God. But then you keep reading through scripture and you get to the book of Amos. Amos is the one who says, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord reveals to him, do not seek Bethel. Wow, are you, all these passages, in between the passages before, in between Genesis, in between Amos, Bethel is like a, a staple. It's, it's a beautiful place. But then in Amos 5, verse 5, do not seek Bethel. What happened? Did God change? No, He never changes. God didn't change. You know what happened? The people changed. They forgot the Lord. That's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. And it's terrible. It's sad. Can the Lord become forgotten? Absolutely He can. You know what I'm saying? Don't let Him become forgotten. Stay in His Word. Read your Bible. Be on your knees before the Lord and pray. And seek His face. Seek His will. And pray. Commune with Him. Have oneness with Him. Have intimacy with Him. And grow and mature in Christ. Put aside the elementary things. Lay them aside. Put aside the, the things that hinder you. Put them aside. And so look what happens here. He says, uh, as it vomited out the nations that were before you, for whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. So you start to understand how these rules are for safety. I used to think like, wow, you know what? I'm not going to be hardcore Christian. And Christians are crazy. Too many rules. 
But you know what's so beautiful? I fell in love with these rules. He's like, ah, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this. And you know what? I'll start carrying my cross. Okay, I'm going to reckon the old man dead. And what the Lord has replaced, the old, he gives them like a renovation. If you buy an old house, it's like, wow, this is nasty. And you rip out the old cabinets, you put in new cabinets. You rip out the flooring, you put in new flooring. You rip out this, you paint, you do all these things. Like, wow, this is beautiful. Well, that's what the Lord does inside of your heart, inside of your mind. He renovates. He takes out the old and he puts in the new and he's going to blow your mind away because he loves you. This is so beautiful because, you know, we're going to read further in, in passages in Scripture in the Old Testament and we're going to understand why the Lord takes his course of action. Now, if you're into Reformed theology, and I don't mean to attack Reformed theology, but, you know, when I have these conversations with Reformed theology people and Calvinists, it's like, you know, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. Well, when you have this knowledge base of the law and you understand why God does what he does in the Kings, in the Chronicles, in Ezekiel, in Isaiah, you understand these things. It's like, wait a second. This is why the Lord does that. He says in the law, don't do this. What happens to the people? They do it. God says, don't do this to the priests. What do the priests do? They do it. God says to the rulers, don't do this. What do they do? They do it. And you get like, oh, I get it now. Don't forget, you know, if you lean on, you know, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. I'm not mocking him. He is sovereign. Don't forget that it's the Lord who says, come and let us reason together. There's a reason why he takes these courses of action with disobedience. Old Testament and New Testament. There's a reason why people say, yeah, Esau, he hated. Yeah, but do you know why he hated Esau? He was a lying fornicator. Esau made his choice. Read Hebrews chapter 12. A lying fornicator, 12 and 13. It's not just like, you know, Esau, he hated, period. There's a reason why. And these passages in the law, it's like, okay, I get why the Lord takes this course of action. It's very important to understand these things from a doctrinal, I mean, applicationally for our lives and our, to walk with the Lord. But then from a doctrinal perspective, it's protection. And so look what happens here in verse 30 in closing. Um, Therefore, you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you and that you do not defile yourselves by them. Influencers. All these influencers, what they were influenced by Egypt, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites. What about the influencers in your life today, right here, right now? Who are your influencers? You know, do you, are you on social media and, you know, you have, you're following somebody that has, you know, I don't know, 50,000 followers. I don't know if that's a lot, but, you know, you have 50,000 followers. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to do what she says because I'm a follower. They're going to influence my decision. You know, I say cut it out. Cut it out. Let the Lord be your influencer. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the word of God. Let him influence you. Let him guide your steps. And it's so beautiful because he says, I am the Lord. Let's pause here. I am the Lord. 
No period. I am the Lord, your God. Very personal. I am the Lord, your God. You see, the Lord desires this oneness, this closeness with his people. Old Testament and New Testament. The Lord desires closeness. What prevents that? Sin. You must reckon the old man dead. You must reckon the old woman dead. You must be new wineskin. You know why? Because the Lord pours new wine inside of new wineskin. And your new wineskin can contain that new wine. All else is folly. We're going to end our study here and pick up Lord Willing in chapter 19 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.